the book of Exodus and uh, chapter number 40 and I want to begin reading in verse number 21 and he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the covering covered the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle toward the north without the veil. And he set the bread and order upon it before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward, and he lighted the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the golden altar in the tent of the congregation before the veil, and he burnt sweet incense thereon as the Lord commanded Moses. And he set up the hanging at the door of the tabernacle, and he put the altar of burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and offered upon it the burnt offering and the meat offering as the Lord commanded Moses. And he set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water there to wash withal. Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat. When they went into the tent of the congregation, and when they came near unto the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation of the glory. The Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day the fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeying. Last night we talked about Jesus and a box. The word ark means a container or a box. And we noticed how that the Lord set up a tabernacle in the wilderness so that he might move and dwell among his people. He's always had a heart to be with his people. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day in this tabernacle. In the coming of Christ as he dwelt in the flesh. And then this, we are his tabernacle as he indwells us through the spirit of Christ. He wants to fellowship with his people. And Israel needed his guidance. And so he set up that, 
that tabernacle, if you were to go to the outer part of that tabernacle, I, I guess we could say this would be a, the brazen altar. It's over there, offer up a sacrifice. And then there would be another veil. If I can get somebody to get me that other uh, flag there. And we'll put it right here because it was a door uh, just prior to going into what was called the holy place. See, this Old Testament tabernacle is a, is a uh, significance, as uh, the Hebrew writer said, of greater things to come. All of this tabernacle spoke about Christ. Amen. Had something, as a matter of fact, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Amen. Can't miss that. So you come to that altar, and then, you got, uh, and then you've got, uh, of course, there was a... There was a uh, a brazen laver where the priests would wash their hands. They could wash with all. And then there was a uh, door there hanging. Then on the inside, you come to a candlestick, and, and that was for the lighting on the inside. And uh, then there was a table there. We'll let this be that table that had some bread on it. Uh, cutting 12 pieces with a specific uh, ingredient, a holy bread for the, for the priests. And uh, then there was, a, there was another altar that was right here. It's called the altar of incense. There was a special spice and perfume that was put together that was only to be used uh, to offer up praise unto God in that tabernacle. And it all, all spoke about Christ. Uh, spoke about Christ as the sacrifice, spoke about Christ as our sanctification, spoke about uh, Christ as our sight or our illumination, spoke about Christ as our substance or our bread, spoke about Christ as our spirit as far as praise is concerned before God. It all spoke about Christ and then as that priest would come into the holy place, then he would have to go beyond uh, another curtain. There were two of them, and this was called the most holy place. And um, it was the most holy place on earth because it was the only place where God said that he would dwell with man. And uh, I read last night in Ezekiel chapter 25, he said, I will meet with you there upon uh, the ark and the mercy seat, and uh, he said, "I will, I will uh, there on that mercy seat. I will commune with you of all the things that I shall command you." It was uh, a box that had some precious things in them, but it personified deity. Actually, this box didn't speak about Christ, but this box was. Christ, because every need that the children of Israel would have would be met out of this box. Every word that they would get would come from this box. Every direction, every bit of victory as far as battle was concerned, they always had this box with them when they got in the battle because it's called the ark of the strength of the Lord. And it signifies Christ himself. 
Now, we would not minimize the altar out there. We would not minimize the light. We'd not minimize the labor. We'd not minimize the bread. We'd not minimize uh, the altar of incense. As we don't minimize those things that come from Christ. I'm glad for all the things that I have received of Christ and from Christ. I thank him for the light of his word. I'm glad we've got his word, aren't you? I thank him for that sacrifice in salvation where he gave me his blood to pay and atone for my sins. I thank him for the strength of his energy, his bread, his substance. I thank him for the light. I thank him for the spirit of praise. I thank him for all things that, that, that come from him. And I don't want to minimize any of those things that he has given us, but what I want to do is magnify the one from whom all things come. If we're not careful, we can get hung up out here and miss really what is all important, and that is Christ himself. All in all is Jesus, and Jesus everything. And uh, so he is the box in that and that uh, he, he, uh, he, this God met the needs of the children of Israel through this box, and God meets all of our needs. He, uh, through Jesus, he is the propitiation of our sins. He, he is our righteousness. He, he is our remission or our forgiveness. He is our wisdom. He is our sanctification. He is our peace. He, he is everything. Jesus is all and all for me and for you. Amen. And so what we saw last night was that, that uh, Jesus, as that ark was all that Israel needed, Jesus is all that we need in his oneness with God. Amen. That ark had a oneness with God. It had a oneness with that law. It had a oneness with that lid or mercy. That ark had a oneness with heaven. And I don't know about you, but I want that oneness, and I'm glad I have a oneness with heaven. I'm not going to be a stranger when I enter into that city. They're not going to have to introduce me to the Spirit of God. There, I have been brought into a oneness with Christ. He has made me one in the Father as he prayed in John 17 that they may be one even as we are one. But tonight I want to go a step further and I want us to see this, this ark, as a, this box as a picture of, of Christ. And what I want to emphasize tonight in using the thought he is all that we need. That's the thought that we have. He is all that we need. I'm glad Jesus is all we need. Especially a world in which the economy is look like crashing and the government has folded up and who knows what's coming out of their lies and, and, uh, and all those other things and seems like the, the, the workforce is closing down who, who, who knows but I hadn't been resting in all that anyway I, I'll tell you 40 years ago I found out he'd be all I needed when I didn't know what was going to happen in the future he'll be all that I need when I cross I'll tell you, the, uh, the, the Jordan River in death, he'll be all that I need, uh, no matter what the situation is. But, but he is all that I need. But I want you to notice how that he is all that I need in his approachableness. His approachableness. Now, 
This is where God is. That's where he said he would be, right? But my emphasis and my question tonight is if that's where God is, and I'm way out here, and that's where man was, that's where the priests were, that's where the children of Israel were, they were way out here. The question is, how in the world am I going to get to God? If that's where I need to be is in there, and if that's where my salvation, if that's where everything that I need, all I need is, how do I get in there? You see, when you come up to this, uh, this tabernacle, it has a spirit about it that almost says, beware. That's what he said to, to uh, Moses when he said, you tell Aaron, beware. You don't just run through there like, like, a, like a bull in a china shop. You get killed, they'll drag you back out of there. Beware! The sons of Eli found that out. Beware! Korah found that out. Beware! You don't want to just take this lightly. But yet you got to get in there. How can you? He's done told us you can't just barge in there. You can't just run in there. You can't just show up in there. But we need to be in there. But everything about it seems to cause a feeling of fright. For instance, if, if you didn't understand what this is all about, and you come up here, and the first thing you see is an altar and an old dead lamb laying across it, and its throat is cut, and blood's running everywhere, and it looks like his other's been, run, uh, been slaughtered, and pieces of meat everywhere, and it's burning, and, and you smell the scent of it. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. First thing, you, you're going to look at that and say, Ooh, what are they doing over there? It seems to have a repellent. It seems to have a re rejection about it. Do you remember how you felt about it before you were saved? <laughs> they said you want to go to heaven, come to the cross, surrender to Jesus. It's a matter of crucifixion. Crucifixion? What? I don't want to be. Oh, you? I don't know. I just, oh, I just stand far off from that. Has a warm. And then besides that, even if you get by that, there's the, and you get by this brazen labor to watch. There's a door there. It says, uh uh no, 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 no. You're not coming in here. I mean, where there's a door, it's a divider. And it's like it's saying, no, 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 you can't just, you can't just come in here. It seems almost unapproachable. It seems like it's, uh, it, it is holding you out instead of, uh, instead of welcoming you in. So how are you going to get in there? Well, I can remember how I felt about church and I felt about the gospel. I felt about gospel songs. I, felt, I mean, before I was saved, I can remember a few times I went to church. I mean, it was a foreign world to me. It was a place to where I just did not feel welcome. I was far removed from all of that. And, and it seemed like there were doors everywhere that just seemed to point out to me my wickedness, my ungodliness, and the light showed me how evil I was and everything. And besides that, there's another door in there. And, and man, it just seems like it can't. And if you could get beyond that door, there's a couple of cherubim in there, and you know what they'll do to you. Last time we read about them, is out there on garden, the, the Garden of Eden. And said, you ain't coming in here. That's what them cherubim said there. And uh, man, you can step down a notch or two of some of them angels. What was it on that one night? One angel killed, what was it? A couple hundred thousand? 
I ain't messing with no cherubim. If you tell me they're in there, I ain't going in there. And besides that, even if I get in there, there's a law in there that condemns me to hell. Everything about that law I've broken. So you tell me I need to be in there and you tell me that's where God is, but yet everything on the way seems to hold me back. How am I going to get in there? I got good news. The approachableness of Christ as seen in that ark or in that box. Now, let me give the illustration and I'll give you my thought. I have been to Washington, D.C., the capital, on three occasions. Earlier occasions, you can stir around a little more than you can now, but did you know that before Abraham Lincoln was shot, that you could literally walk up 600 Avenue there in Washington, D.C. You could go up the steps of the Capitol. You could go into the Capitol. You could ask where his office was. You could go into his office, and just as an everyday citizen, you could sit down and talk to him. But since then, of course, we have the FBI and all, all, the, uh, all the, the, the things that would protect the president, of course, which is wise. But since 9-11... Honey, you can just barely get close enough to see it. Uh, they have things there to keep you from being able to drive a vehicle close enough to explode it. And, of course, they have the fences that are there. And they have the guards that are there. And they have the guns that are there. And it seems like that that, that capital today, when you go there, it is constantly saying, don't come close. Don't climb those bars. Don't, don't try to push your way in. Stay away. Only come so close. And so as a result of that, I've been there on three occasions, and can I say you, I have yet to be in the Oval Office. And I ain't going to try because I like living too much. And I don't want to go to Guantanamo Bay or wherever that's at. I don't want to end up in Cuba somewhere. I'm not going to barge my way in there. So the question prevails, how in the world could I ever get in? You know, it is possible I can get in there. But can I suggest to you that the only way that I will ever get into the Oval Office is inside of that White House and inside of that Oval Office, there is a president of the United States. And if he were to call some of his aides in and he were to say to them, look, there's a preacher, an evangelist by the name of Dana Williams. I want you to call him first. I want you to contact him. I want you to let him know that I am sending for him and escorting him here, and I will have him flown into Washington, D.C. I will have him brought the back way into the White House, and I want him by tomorrow afternoon in the Oval Office. <laughs> and then I could come to you a few weeks later and say, guess where I was at? So where you been? The Oval Office right. talking to the president. Oh, I don't believe that. I've been up there and these bars and these, I'll tell you, these uh, policemen and soldiers and they ain't letting nobody in. Yeah, I got in. 
So well, how'd you get in? Did you jump the gate? No, I didn't jump it. Did you barge the gate? No, I didn't barge the gate. Did you ram your way in or parachute yourself down off a helicopter? No! Say, how did you get in there? It was a movement from the inside out. Somebody inside wanted me in there, and so they sent for it. They made a movement from the inside to the outside. And honey, if they ever start inside and come outside, I can start outside and come inside. It was an inside out. It'd have to be an inside out movement. So you don't know the Father. You don't know our God. I'm talking about man didn't. And there was no way they could just barge their way through here and just say, hey, I'm here. They wouldn't have made it. But God said, I'm going to, through this box, I'm coming to you. And that's why when I read to you in Exodus chapter number 40, the setting up of this tabernacle did not start at the outside coming in, but the starting of it all was God started with the ark. He said, you get the ark placed. Everything comes to the ark. Everything moves to the ark. God moves to the ark. And then after the ark is settled and established, God moves through the ark, coming to the outside, reaching to all sinners, coming all the way to you. God moving through his son. He said, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. I come to call not the righteous but sinners to repentance. Said, God's a moving through me and he's headed in your direction. It's an inside out movement. See, there's no way you can get in there. You can't start in there. Until he started out. And this old world is filled with approaches to God, and they all fail. None of them will get you there. It's not our approach to him, but his approach to us. The movement began in Christ. And aren't you glad he headed your way? outer movement, thank God. An inside movement to an outer movement. He must move for us so we can move toward Him. What a movement. He said we're going to start here and then we're going to head out. I like what 1 Peter 3, 18 said, For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. <laughs> we couldn't get in there, he said, but I'm coming after you. My wife often sings this song, He came to me. The movement of heaven in eternity past in the mind of God. He started this move with you in mind. When he spoke to Abraham, he had you in mind. When he had Noah built that ark, he had you in mind. 
When he raised up David, he had you in mind. When he brought his son into this world and he was crucified on a cross and rose the third day, he was moving in your direction. When he raised up the apostle Paul with the grace of God, he was moving in your direction. And I'm going to tell you on down through the centuries, God moved my way until 40 years ago, he caught up with me. Amen. He said, I come after you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I come after you. I didn't even know I was welcome. I had no idea I could get in there. But he came to me. In due time, he headed in my direction. There is, a, there is an inner movement. There has to be a movement. I'm talking about the approachableness of Christ. We have access in what? The beloved. <laughs> it's the only way you can get in there. You have to come through the beloved. But he is our access because he comes out after us in his movement. The second thing I would bring to your attention is I noticed that he is all that we need in his approachableness. How are we going to get in there? He's going to have to come after us. His movement. But not only through his movement, but through his ministry. Now, that's what, that's what all of this is about here. And the, the lamp is about, <laughs> and the bread is about. And that's, that's, that's what... Uh, that, that, that's what this labor's about and that's what this altar is about. Is as he moves in our direction, he moves with a ministry on our behalf. There is a mystery in Christ's ministry. And the mystery is, is that, that he's in there and out here at the same time. He's inseparable in all of these other articles of furniture. You see, he's the sacrifice and he's the Savior. He's the box and he's the blood. He's the bread and he's the body. He's the priest and he's the sacrifice. He's the Son and he's the Spirit. He's not just in there, but thank God he's out here ministering through his sacrifices, through his blood, through his illumination, through his spirit, through his word, and through his blood and sacrifice. He's a moving in a ministry toward us. You see... That's why when I, in the Spirit, began to delve into this Word, it's one and the same with Him. He is the Spirit of that Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's why when we get here... At this altar of incense and that special ingredients of praise from our hearts goes up before God. We feel the presence of Jesus as we praise Him because that's what that is, is His praise ushering out of us. We couldn't praise Him unless He was in us 
praising him. <laughs> Everything just is him, and he is everything. And that's why I said last night, you don't want to get hung up. At, religion gets hung up here, out here and they'll get them little crosses and around, wearing them around their necks. And they think that's all it is. But how I'm glad it's more than just a symbol. Yes. <laughs> that cross represents a Christ who is not on the cross now. He's alive. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I'm not just chanting. I'm not just chanting. But I'm praying through the Spirit of the Son with that Spirit that He gave me that I can cry out, Abba, Father, with. <laughs> He's ministering to me as He sets up, as He comes in my direction, as He sets up these other things. What He's doing is He's setting them up, coming out to bring us in through these different channels because you see all these are are channels to him channels to him that's the mystery of his ministry how that he can be down here in this service and we sense his presence so real but yet he's up there in the holy place but I'll tell you something better than that. Anywhere Jesus is is a holy place. Have you noticed that? You get a hold of the throne of God, you're not going to sense any difference when you get to heaven than what you're feeling when you got a hold of the throne. It's the same Spirit, the same Son, the same holy place. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty! <laughs> The mystery of his ministry. Oh, I'm glad he's here. I'm glad I can feel him in this little old sermon. I'm glad I can feel him as we sang tonight and as they played the instruments. I'm glad we can feel him here. But the approachableness of Christ, getting us to God, we can approach through his movement. We can approach through his ministry. I'm talking about the mystery of his ministry. It's almost like he's out here himself taking us in to himself. But there's not only a mystery in that ministry, there's a message in that ministry. See, once he gets out here to where you are and lets you begin to see it like it really is, that all means something different, don't it? It ain't just an old church house with a steeple pointing toward the sky and some old man spitting all over everybody while he's screaming and hollering, reading from a, a book that's so many thousand years old and has no real meaning to it. No, the world thinks we're crazy, but honey, once he's come to you, first thing he does is he shows you what that's all about. Say, come on, I want to take you through my blood. And it becomes a message. There is a message there of salvation. Hail everyone, Isaiah. Hail everyone. Stop everyone. Come drink. I can remember when he issued that to my heart as a 14-year-old boy. He was standing at Calvary saying, Come! 
his word and the man of God was, I tell you, splashing around in that labor with that water and he's saying, come, come. And the light had turned on on the inside and it was too late because I could see it say, come, come. And all the way through, everything seemed to have a come on in message to it. Made me feel so humble. So, oh Lord, surely I can't come there. He said, you can. Come on. I'll take you in. Come. Aren't you glad for the old preacher that God sent by your way? Christ just a, just a burning in his heart. And as if Jesus was saying, come on. Come on, I got a place for you. We can go to the inner circle of the heart of God. Come on, I'll get you beyond them pews. Come on, I'll get you beyond that. Come on, come on. Can't you remember the day when he said, come on. And you knew you was going somewhere big. But you had never been before. Come, see, come, eat, come, worship. Just come. Come. The approachableness of his movement and the approachableness of his ministry. Aren't you glad for all the things that Jesus set up in this old world to get your attention to say, come on. Prayers of that mama and that grandmama, that old fellow that witnessed to you, that old-time preacher, blazing trails, didn't have much of an education, just, just could barely read the Word of God, but he had, he had that come-on-in spirit about him. Jesus had sent him your direction and said, tell him to come on in. Come on in. <laughs> I like that, don't you? He's all we need. Matter of fact, He's the only one we need in this matter of approaching God. No other way to approach him because he is the door and everything else. Which leads to me saying the finality of it all. He is all that we need in his approachableness, not only in his movement and in his ministry, but he's all that we need in his approachableness in his mercy. In his mercy. Now, we mentioned in the beginning about this tabernacle and how it seems to have a, uh, a feel about it of uh, frightfulness. Uh, it sort of reminded me, you know, of, of the scripture where it talked about, it talked about Moses and the children of Israel. When they, and, and the Hebrew writer said, Did you not come to Mount Sinai where there's thundering and lightning? And Moses feared, and the children of Israel said, we, you, we, Moses, you'll have to go. We, don't, we can't stand that. We can't, it'll consume us. Oh, he said, you haven't come to that mountain. He said, you've come to Mount Zion. He said, there's another mountain. And that other mountain don't issue a fearfulness and frightfulness and rejection, but it issues an invitation to come on in. Said you've come to a different mountain. You come. Why? Because it speaks of mercy. 
It represents his mercy. You see, the only way and the only reason that you can ever get in there, you'll all have to sum it up. We'll all have to say the same thing. Every single last one of us from the back to the front, from the first to the last, will have to say the only way we got in there was mercy. It was the mercy of God that let us in. Wasn't worthy. Couldn't find my way in there. But it came after me and through his mercy. You see, this matter of approaching God, as I said last night, is not at the expense of his holiness and his righteousness. When, when, when God wanted man to come into his presence, he didn't say, okay, we're just going to forget all the, about all the Ten Commandments and we're going to forget about all the ungodliness and righteousness and, and everything's okay and we're just all going to be one big happy family. Y'all just all come on in. Now, that's the message of the world. When I'm telling God's side, sin still sin. Unholiness is still unholiness and righteousness is still righteousness. And the law is still the law. It hasn't been done away with. So there's some things that are pretty dangerous about this place. Unless you enter in in mercy. Every step has to be a step of mercy. See, the first thing is... When you go in, make sure you stop and get you some blood. You don't head in there without any blood. There ain't nothing but judgment in there and condemnation. The wrath of God abides upon every sinner. As in the Old Testament in the land of Egypt, when there was no blood over the doorpost, it was death for all of those families that had no blood. You don't want to be caught without blood. You don't want to just want church membership and, and uh, denominationalism, all that. You've got to have some blood. Don't go in there. I warn you, don't head that way without blood. Amen. All the folks running around religious and they don't have no blood. There's the shedding of the blood. Without that shedding of blood, there's no remission. But the mercy of it is is yes, you are a sinner, and you know you are. But thank God, there's mercy at this altar. And Jesus has made it so with his blood. With his blood, you can make your way through. Sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. Aren't you glad for the blood that gave you access to the throne? The blood, the mercy that is found in that blood. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered up himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? There's, the, there's that, that blood. But there's something else about it, this. Now, we, we talked about it a little bit last night, but there is a, there's a, there's a law. And that law, and I know it said the Ten Commandments, but that Ten Commandments only 
was a representation of over 300 and some laws embodied in that Ten Commandments that were developed on throughout Leviticus and so on. Had to do with your moral aspects, had to do with the social aspects, had to do with the business world. It had to do with uh, slavery. It had to do with uh, farming. It had to do with when to let the land rest and when to farm the land. It had to do with everything. It was, it was in that law, but it's represented in that Ten Commandments. But that Ten Commandments was the very justice of God Almighty. And he said... Here it is. And to be just with me, you've got to be able to keep all of those commandments. Only problem was, nobody ever could. Even the priest, he couldn't. And they broke these laws. He said, if you broke one of them, you broke every single last one of them. Breaking those laws means there must be the penalty of judgment and the wrath of God upon you. So somewhere along the way, if you're going to meet God, you're going to have to face this. Because this is God's righteousness and God's holiness and he ain't going to let it down for nobody. But you see, God knew that where this was, you could not be because it would destroy you. So what he did is he took his law, his commandments, and before you ever got in there, he got them out of the way. Matter of fact, he put them in the box. He put them in the box. And then he put a mercy seat over top of it. Now that law is still a perfect law in there, but thank God it ain't never been broken in there. That law is intact in there. And as long as it's in the box, you're going to be all right. You can come in because of the mercy of the box. It's in the box. I said, where's that law at? Calm down. It ain't going to hurt you. There's no judge going to penalize you for it. It's in the box. But what if it... No, it ain't coming out. It's covered. It's covered by mercy and covered by the blood. (laughs) And what's the scripture saying? God knew we couldn't get in his presence like that. The Bible said Jesus blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. (laughs) He said, before they ever get here, I better put that away. Because they'll never be able to stand in my presence and face my law. But... Thank God in Christ that law is fulfilled. In Christ that law is unbroken. In Christ you and I stand in the righteousness of Christ before God. That's why we're going in. 
Asked a lady one time, young lady, I said, are you going to heaven? She said, yes. I said, how you know? She said, because I can quote the Ten Commandments. I said, honey, it's those Ten Commandments that will destroy you. The ones you quote will destroy you. But thank God there's mercy that will let us in. The mercy of the blood and the mercy of the books. I don't ever have to face the law. Thank God I'm happy. I don't have to face the law. He's not going to pull that out of there. When we get to heaven, say, all right, stand out together. Let's see here. You got no hope. When you get to heaven, that law will be the same place it is right now. Amen. In Christ. Amen. It won't even be brought up. It won't even be mentioned. But you know, there was something else I thought about about this place. It was scary that would... That they did take mercy to get you in there. First of all, that law, you don't want to go where that law is because it'll hurt you. I mean, it's against you. If you've broken the law, the last place you want to go is to hang around the courthouse. Say, right. <laughs> so, hey, don't I know you? <laughs> Unless that law's already been settled. Yes. The judge say, yeah, don't I, don't I know you? Say, yes, the judge, you did. And he, but it's all been taken care of. Thank you. He said, yeah, I know that. I was the one that tried it. In the box. Boy, isn't it wonderful not to have condemnation and to be able to lay down and rest at night and knowing if you draw your last breath that you're going to heaven because you're not going to have to face all those regulations and laws. They're taken care of in Christ. Been no hope for what? But there's something else in there that really gets to me, and that's them, I mentioned them, that's them cherubim. I don't know all there is to know about them. I guess they're just beefed up angels, but they're, you know, they're, them things is scary looking. Not them wings on them, the Bible said. You read it there in chapter 25. It tells you that there's a cherubim, the cherubim on this side and there's one on this side. There's two of them in there. Well, I none told you in the lower ranks one angel killed almost 200 people. What do you think these boys can do? And they're, and they're hovering over and their wings touch one another. And somebody say, you want to go in there? I say, what's in there? I say, well, first of all, the law's in there. Nah, I'm not going in there. I don't worry about it. It's in the box. Well, what else is in there? There's a couple of cherubim. I don't think I want to go in there because the last time I read about cherubim, they stood at the Garden of Eden with swords going like this, and they dared anybody to come in there. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm scared of them. Yeah. But did you notice, if you go to chapter 25, I'll read it to you in a moment. He, the Bible said the, the cherubim's on both sides. No, I'm going to read it to you now because I want to... Emphasize. Look back to uh, uh, to uh, Exodus chapter number twenty-five. That's the text that we read last night. I'm talking about this matter of of uh, getting in there. This matter of of uh, approachableness unto God, coming through His movement, His ministry, and His mess in His His mercy. Uh, notice the Bible said in verse twenty. Verse 19 tells us the cherubim's on each end. And it says, The cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. 
But here's what I want to, I want you to notice. And their faces shall look one toward another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. Now back there in the garden, them cherubims, I need me a sword or something. Anyway, back there in the garden, them cherubims are standing like this and is looking out upon anybody yes, come in their direction. Yes, it coming in here. But the scripture said there's two of them in here. But you won't have to worry about them when you go in there. They're not going to be looking at you. Isn't that amazing? All they see is mercy. Now, if they was ever to raise up and look out, you'd be in trouble. But as far as I can tell in Scripture, they never moved a muscle. If you can find that ark today and it was intact, they'd still be looking at mercy. And the other one over here, looking at mercy. Truth of the matter is, when you get in Christ, all of the apparatuses of God that He's ever created in any fashion or form begins to look at mercy in your life and operate off of mercy. The sun rises every day in mercy towards you. The rain falls in mercy. Everything God's ever created and ever done ain't angry with you no more. Amen. Said it's mercy heading in your direction. And chairman standing there saying, just think of that. Boy, we don't understand it. And they didn't. The angels desired to look into it. They said, I we don't understand it. But look at all that blood. Look at all that mercy. This is where God and man comes together. The beholding. You know what's in there? You know what's in there? Don't matter. Mercy has brought me to God. Amen. Jesus moved toward me. He ministered to me. He gave me mercy all the way. And I'm just amazed that I stand in the presence of God. And I have access because of the Beloved. And by the way, he broke down the middle walls of partition. Why is that? It? <laughs> Did you know he took down all the doors? There ain't no more doors. And no more doors. There's nothing about it that says stay out. It all says in Christ, come on in. He's all 
I need in his approachableness to God.